Welcome to the Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast, where today we will be listening to this week's sermon by Pastor Brent Russell. Wow. Bless the Lord. He is here and He is moving in our midst. Uh, last week, uh, there was a, a, a bit of confusion. Um, uh, <laughs> and... and uh, uh, Sharon and others uh, told me that I should have indicated before I did that soliloquy, that monologue, that I was speaking in the voice of Thomas. So it left some people confused and perplexed, and so my apologies for not clarifying in advance that I was speaking in the voice of Thomas when I did that soliloquy. Uh, well, recently my daughter uh, subscribed Sharon and I to an app called StoryWorth. StoryWorth asks you questions and, and you write answers to them and, uh, and, and they're posted online. At the end of it all, it's put into a booklet. Uh, and, but Sharon has found that when she starts answering these questions and remembers details of her childhood, there's, there's some things that she actually has forgotten should she not have taken the time and been prompted by those questions? So it's been a good exercise to think back and remember those days. And we read this morning from John 21, verses 1 to 25. It's the whole chapter. And John is looking back, and he's writing out some of the details of the three years that he spent with Jesus and the other disciples. And only one other of those original disciples kept a record, and wrote out a gospel. And that was Matthew. And uh, so John doesn't include some details that Matthew and the other gospel writers wrote, like the virgin birth, the uh, genealogies and stuff. And we know from the writing uh, that John understood local culture and knowledge. He knew Jewish life well, their customs and their hostilities, and he knew the geography of Palestine. He refers to various distances between places. He remembered the smell of things. He, he comments on the fragrance of the broken perfume bottle in Bethany. So he's thinking back and he's, he's full of memories. And when he wrote this story, this, it's a record to clarify and to inform. And he, wanted, he, he was, had the wisdom of hindsight you know how that helps us when we look back. We, have, we see things from a different perspective. And so he was able to weave all these amazing things together. Uh, Jesus had told his disciples when he was with them, all this I have spoken while I was still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. So John had the benefit of the Holy Spirit prompting him to write out this account. John began his gospel with a, a massive, sweeping sort of homage to Genesis. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life, 
and that life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's how John begins his gospel account, with this sweeping history. And over a period of 40 days, it says Jesus gave many convincing proofs that he was alive, and one of these times, one of these convincing proofs is the last chapter of John, which we read this morning. It's a reunion of sorts. Okay, sometime after the resurrection of Jesus in that 40-day period, and seven disciples show up, and they're joining Peter. They're going back to their old routines, their old habits, the old patterns. Peter maybe is floundering a bit, but he's not one to sit around. And he says, I'm going fishing. And all the other disciples join him. Yeah, we're going too. It's kind of one of these, just let's go fishing. You think, well, just what's happening, right? But something far greater is going on. It's something far greater. It's a tipping point. Something transformative is taking place. Do you remember reading the transformative event in John Wesley's? life. John Wesley kept a journal of his life. If you haven't read it, it is a good, good read. It's almost a day-by-day journal. And he says on May 24th, 1738, he said, I've been feeling unmotivated, couldn't even pray. He was in despair. And he had been counseled to to continue to act as if he had faith, and faith would be granted to him. And so he persisted. And that morning, he recounts that he read from 2 Peter 1.4 that God had given us his great and precious promises that we might participate in the divine nature. But he felt nothing. And that evening, he reluctantly attended a meeting where someone was reading Martin Luther's preface to the book of Romans. Sounds pretty boring. It was just one of those evenings, run-of-the-mill kind of events, and John Wesley quoted, around 845, while the speaker was describing the change which God works in the heart, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Scriptures tell us in Zechariah 4.10, do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Now, it was one of those afternoons in 1975 when a group meeting in the basement of King Street United Church in London, Ontario, was a group called the Jesus Rap, that dates it. On Saturday afternoons, we met and gathered together for a couple of hours, maybe twice a month, I can't remember. We prayed and we prepared to go out on the streets of London to share our faith. And the organizers of that always sent out teams of men and women so that we could approach both men and women on the street. Well, You may have guessed what happened next. A a, a woman I had never met by the name of Sharon Walker and I were sent out together on the streets of London to share our faith. 
It was a transformative moment in the midst of just an every kind of day event. So here is Peter and his six disciples, and they're out fishing. They're about 100 yards from shore. They've been fishing all night and caught nothing. And Jesus is on the shore, and he yells out to them, Hey, guys, have you caught any fish? No. Jesus says, throw your nets on the other side, the right side. An almost identical event had happened three years earlier, which Luke recorded in the Gospel of Luke. And it says that Simon and Andrew and James and John and others had been out fishing and had caught nothing. These men who knew everything there was to know about fishing had been out fishing all night and caught nothing. And Jesus was there and he said, put out into the deep water and let the nets down for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they did so, they caught such a great number of fish that the nets began to break. And Simon was terrified. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So three years earlier, when that event had happened, everything the disciples knew, everything they had experienced, was about to change. And this time, Jesus is saying, cast your nets on the other side. It's counterintuitive. These men know how to fish. But again, they obeyed Jesus, and when they did cast their nets, they hauled in a huge catch, and their eyes were opened, and John cries out, it is the Lord. It's the Lord. Now, John was the first to recognize Jesus in that moment, but as I contemplated that, it is the Lord, think about how pregnant with meaning that must have been for John. John was writing these events years later, looking back. He had written, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And here he is saying, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. The Word who was with God, who was God, the author of of creation. We sang this this morning. Nothing was created except by God. Nothing comes into existence without his creative power, and nothing continues to exist without his sustaining energy. Don't we often just say when God weaves mercies into our lives, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. We recognize it. It's the Lord who provides it's the Lord who gives us a word of encouragement. It is his word, it is his love, his mercy and grace that surrounds us. It is the Lord. So John records this miracle event in his narrative, remembering the event from three years earlier. But I asked myself the question, why did the disciples need to see a miracle? They had the resurrected Jesus with them. Well, here's my take on that. The disciples needed to know, and we need to know, that all the glories around us, in our world and in the universe, are dependent upon his creative and sustaining power. 
He is the Lord of creation. Miracles interrupt the natural order of the world. And so they interrupt our tendency to think that all there is is just there. Didn't the disciples cry out, who then is this, even the wind and waves obey him? I love that song, the wind and waves still know his voice, who calmed them once below. Jesus spoke out of darkness and chaos and brought light into the universe and into our lives. And impulsive Peter wraps his garment around him and plunges into the water. This guy is passionate. He's emotional. He's uninhibited. And the other disciples bring the boat in, and when they land, they see a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus has prepared a meal for them. He could have just said, sit down, we're going to have a chat. But he chose a very human way of relating to these guys. He's taking care of them. He's concerned for their welfare over a meal. But food isn't just to nourish us and sustain us. It's meant to be enjoyed. It's a tangible expression of both service and community when we invite someone into our home to eat together. Don't we call our church dinners a fellowship meal? And if you have attended Wednesday night, when I've attended, there's been a warmth and nourishment and conversation and community. It's been an expression of hospitality that has warmed my heart. So Jesus is serving a meal to his followers on the seashore. The charcoal is glowing, the fish is sizzling, and there's bread available. I mean, Jesus has gone to some lengths to put this together. Jesus is again lowering himself and becoming a servant to his disciples. He had washed the disciples' feet, and after washing the disciples' feet, he had said, I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Humbling himself, looking out for the interests of others, and now over a meal, he's breaking down barriers and reinforcing again, you must have a servant heart. And when Jesus saw the crowds, it said he had compassion on them. What does compassion mean? It means you, 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 you enter into the hurts and needs of other people. You join them in that place. And Jesus is asking us to do that, to be caring for people, to listen to people, to understand people, to pray for them. After breakfast, when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me? Do you love me, he says. And Peter's hurt, and he's grieved. 
He's hurt because it's reminded him of his three betrayals. He had denied Jesus three times, and this guy can hear the cock crowing. Okay. Jesus and Peter both know what has happened, and they both know it has to be dealt with. It's hard to revisit old sins and denials and mutinies that we haven't dealt with. We want to sweep things under the carpet, leave them there, but there is an elephant in the room, and that elephant is in the gray matter sometimes, isn't it? It's, there's something troubling going on, and you know you have to deal with it. Is there a sin in your life that needs defining and repenting of, something that's troubling you? Well, Peter had wept bitterly after denying Jesus, and now Jesus wants to restore him. And he restores Peter with confession. He restores Peter by having him confess three times. Because confession takes us deeper into our walk of faith. But there is another confession that the brother of Jesus wrote about, James. He said, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. We wrestle with confession, especially to one another. Obviously, we can't be fully and equally transparent with everyone, but we can be with a trusted friend. It, if you confess your sins to a trusted friend, it helps expose those sins to the light and shrinks them down to size, and you can understand them and receive God's forgiveness. I would say along with that, if you have a trusted friend, share also your temptations with them. Bring those secret inclinations out of the dark into the light of Christ. Secrecy strengthens sins and the light of Christ weakens them. And I would say to you, do it sooner. Do it sooner rather than later. Root it out quickly before it gets entrenched. Face your sin, receive forgiveness, and don't quench the Spirit of God by holding on to unconfessed sins. Simon, son of John, do you love me? With all your personality, all your will, feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Now, Jesus has forgiven Peter, and now it's time to commission him. No longer a fisherman, no longer a fisher of men. Jesus says, you will be a shepherd. It's a metaphor God uses for himself. And the metaphor Jesus declared, I am the good shepherd who sacrifices his life for the sheep. You know, we're all commissioned to be shepherds. I'll give you an example. Lorna this morning is shepherding the worship team. And she prayed for us this week, each one of us. She prayed for our needs and our, our, our children and their children. She prayed for people who want to be on the worship team and can't be on the worship team. She is a shepherd to 
the worship team. Your flock may be your children, your family, your grandchildren, your co-workers, your staff, your students, your clients, your congregants, even your friends. Jesus not only forgives Peter, but he gives him a new and amazing purpose. He takes a broken sinner out of the ashes of his sin and despair and speaks a new life into him. A new life, new forgiveness, a new way of thinking. And this is the heart of the gospel. I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. In spite of what I've done or not done, I am a new creation. I'm forgiven, restored, repurposed, and recommissioned. It says at the end of that, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would have been written, that could have been written. How would you conclude this amazing story? I think John's saying it's impossible to put into writing the full significance of everything that Jesus did. It says in John 20, verse 30, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you will have life by the power of his name. Just like Peter. Let's pray. Father, as the worship team comes up, we just pause and we thank you you have called us out of darkness, out of chaos, into your glorious light. And may we, with John, say, it is the Lord when we see you at work in our lives. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week on Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast. Make sure to visit our website at asburyfmperth.com where you can subscribe and never miss a show. If you'd like this broadcast, you might want to check out our Facebook page, Asbury Free Methodist Church. Until next week, take care and God bless.